Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. about this weather. The fans are not blowing this morning. I, I, was, I was just getting good at feeling like I was preaching in an airplane. And, and now the, the fans are off. So it, it lasted for a minute. I got good at it and now will be of zero use. <laughs> you guys, we have some super special people with us all the way from Nicaragua this morning. This is Ben and Sheena George. Can you guys stand up? These, (laughs) they, they are literal heroes of our faith. They have been in Nicaragua the last five years, loving that nation like Jesus. And we had dinner last night and just got got to hear stories and you can just feel their love for their nation oozing out of them. And, uh, you know, we were praying about a year and a half ago about uh, overnight how one of the safest countries became one of the most dangerous countries. And they were just telling stories about how when everyone started fleeing their country, they felt the line in the sand and deepened their love for the nation Jesus has given them. And our hearts were just so moved as they were just talking about their love for this nation where their lives are literally being threatened every day, like for real. And um, they're on a sabbatical. And I just feel like as a community, we just have an impartation to release over them. And, you know, they, they're on a four-month sabbatical and literally got the tattoo of their nation on Ben's arm. And their love for their nation is growing deeper in a place of rest. And it's just manifesting the gospel. So if you guys can stand up, I just want everybody to release your hands um, And we as a family have an impartation and an assignment to reign in life. It's who we are, wherever you are, whatever you do. And I just feel like I just want them to walk away from time with our family, carrying that on the insides of them. And so as a family, we just thank you, Jesus, for for your ambassadors who are living from heaven to earth. And so we just impart As the Bethel Atlanta family, even into their nation, Nicaragua, you will reign in life. And we just agree everything that's in Ben and Sheena's heart for your nation, for your Nicaragua, we just come up underneath of them and we just say yes and amen to every word they're carrying, to every promise you've spoken over their lives, over their country. We just say yes and amen. We just extend all of our faith towards their faith, everything they're believing for, for their nation. We just echo back heaven and we just say yes and amen. Yes and amen. And I I just saw this heaven open up over you. And there was a season of baptism. And I just heard the father echoing the same words he echoed over Jesus. You are my cherished one. You are my beloved 
in you, I am pleased. In you, I am fulfilled. And as he echoed it over you, he was saying it over a nation. In you, I am fulfilled. You are my cherished one. Nicaragua, you are my beloved. And I, I just saw the pleasure of the Father that as you tattooed his nation on your literal body, I just see him tattooing who you are on his literal body. And I, I, I hear him saying, I have inscribed you in the palm of my hand. I will not forget you. That every promise that has been spoken over you and your country, I just hear Jesus saying, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. I've inscribed you in the palm of my hand. And we just, so we just release outrageous miracles. Like that the God of miracles would begin to break out in Nicaragua like never before. Like the abundantly above and beyond all they could ever ask, dream, or imagine and think that everything they're dreaming over their nation we just say above and beyond every tear that they've cried we say above and beyond and we just say the God of miracles put yourself on display in Jesus name so let's just all say we bless you we bless you <laughs> amen so good Well, I, I just wanted to pick up uh, a little bit where we left off a couple weeks ago. You remember we talked about Moses and an entire nation just getting up and a million people marching out of slavery. That was a great story. Um, and, you know, um, as, as I've just been diving into the story, one of the things that was just so peculiar to me is how the Lord kept emphasizing the night before the Passover. You remember the Passover? Right before they're about to get up and leave, he keeps giving very specific instructions about do not put yeast in your bread. You remember that? He says it like countless times. <laughs> do not put yeast in your bread. And um, over and over, he's repeating himself. And, you know, I'm not much of a baker. Like, I'm, I mostly just cook out of a box, and I just follow the instructions <laughs> to a T. Um, but I do know that yeast makes things rise, right? And I, I really just had this sense, I, I care about what makes my people rise. I care about what causes my people to rise. And we're walking with a mandate to arise and shine for your light has come. And what causes us to arise and shine, the yeast inside of our soul is a big deal to God. And, you know, when, when 40 years passes and they had been wandering in the wilderness and Moses passes away, and the torch is passed to Joshua. And, um, you know, the, the Lord comes to Joshua and says, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And every place that you set the, full, the, the sole of your foot, I have given it to you. And he 
reminds Joshua of the promise. I've called you to your own special land. I've given you Canaan. It's, it's time to arise and shine and take the land. And so the Lord dramatically, you know, splits the Jordan River and they're sitting outside of Jericho, which is the first step into their promised land of Canaan. And the Lord tells Joshua his, you know, kind of first move as the new leader of the people of God is to circumcise all of the men on the plains of Jericho. So they're, they're literally looking at the land they're about to take. And on the plains of Jericho, Joshua makes the announcement, we're going to circumcise all of you. And they're literally about to take the land. And, and all of the women rejoiced. You know that. <laughs> Thank you for taking one for the team. And, and they're like, you know, when you when you look at um just natural wisdom, when you're on the cusps of the promise of the Lord that had been waiting for 40 years to come true, you know, the first courageous act doesn't really make sense. You know, let's, let's put all of our men in a position where they can't lift more than 10 pounds or something like that. No, sorry. That was a baby. Sorry. Um, so, so... Sorry, babe. I was I was tapping into your anointing there just for a minute. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so they literally, let's just say they were not battle ready. Okay. They 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 needed to rest on the plains of Jericho for several days, and and you know they were. They were making a statement like, we belong to the Lord, you know, and uh, this one line has just captured my heart that the Lord said to Joshua after he had circumcised all the men and they're resting, they're healing before they take Jericho. And he says, today, the shame of your slavery has been rolled away. And they, they hadn't even taken the land yet, but because they chose to heed the word of the Lord and do what did not make sense, which was the problem they had at the very beginning, it doesn't make sense to take a land with giants like this. It doesn't make logical sense that we look like grasshoppers and they look like giants. We aren't, we aren't enough to take a land like this. And, you know, their shame wasn't rolled away when the walls of Jericho fell. Their shame was rolled away the moment they received the word of the Lord as enough. The moment they made their soul vulnerable. They made their body vulnerable to a God being the highest opinion of what they could and could not do. And they received the word of the Lord and acted on it. And, um, you know, sometimes in, you know, in faith, it's just confusing because we have to receive the word when we don't feel the word is true. And they modeled so beautifully as they were completely laid out, un unable 
to take any type of land. And the Lord made a pronouncement over his people. Today, the shame of your slavery has been rolled away. And, you know, when we fast forward into Jesus stepping on the scene, he would make these statements like, be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees. Be careful about the yeast of the religious. Be careful what you allow into your soul to cause you to rise. And, you know, we, we are constantly watching over our soul with all diligence so we don't buy the trick of a religious spirit. Because a religious spirit has all sorts of ideas about what would cause us to arise and shine and take our place of rightful influence in taking the Canaan of the New Testament and taking the promised land of a God who would want to dwell with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, there's a story in John 5 that I want to look at today. If you want to uh, turn there. And it's the healing at, at Bethesda. And in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in Aramaic, the House of Loving Kindness. And the pool is surrounded by five covered porches. And hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches. The paralyzed, the blind, the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters. And the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Now, there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years, lying among the multitude of the sick. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, there's no way I can get healed. For I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. And if we could just stop there for a second and just think through. This is a pretty bizarre place that, you know, hundreds of sick people are laying. Completely helpless, paralyzed, sick, and they're waiting for an angel to come out of heaven and stir the water so that the first person that jumps in the water will be dramatically healed. And it, it's a pretty extraordinary experience when you think about being there to witness that happening. And, you know, the, the house of loving kindness is what this pool is called. And, you know, there's... Two things this man says when Jesus says, do you truly want to be healed? He, he says, there's no one to put me in the water. It's impossible for me to get healed. And he bumps into a revelation that this scenario, all the expectation that hundreds of people have around this pool being their solution for health and healing and life, it doesn't work 
He said, it's impossible. There's no one to put me in the pool. And by the time that I get there, crawling over, somebody else has already jumped in first. And, you know, a religious spirit wants to talk to us about two things. The people in our life are not enough for us to get what we need. Man, if I just had somebody more spiritual to mentor me, I could really walk in the destiny I'm called to. Man, if I could just have that prophet pray for me, I could really get what my heart is longing for. Man, if I, if I could just have uh, that one guy put his hands on me, I know that I know that I know that I could walk in the fullness of what Jesus has promised. And, you know, the, the religious spirit is constantly wanting our lives to be surrounded around what we do not have. And this, the second thing is, I'm not enough. I'm not enough to get what I need. I, I can't crawl there fast enough. I'm just, I'm just always a little bit behind. There, you know, I try to crawl over when the angel is stirring the water, and somebody else jumps in before me right away. And... You know, when our lives are centered around what people are not and what I am not, we are, we are destined to live waiting for something that we already have. And the greatest tragedy of the gospel is when we're waiting for a savior who's already come. When we're waiting for the light to come so we can arise and shine. We are living below what the person of Jesus purchased. And, and this pool was flashy. I mean, just hearing the story, it was like, what did that look like? <laughs> you know, like, what kind of angel came down from heaven? And what did he use to stir the water? And I would have liked to be there to see that, you know. And it, it was drawing so much expectation that, you know, you know, the people laying at this pool had run out of any other hope, that medical intervention didn't work, that whatever hope was left of walking in healing, of walking in wholeness, had dried up if the odds are one to hundreds of you getting a chance to be healed. And they have built their entire life around an expectation of, I want to be the special one. I want to be the one who's seen. I want to be the one who's healed. I want to be the one that has the extraordinary encounter that changes everything. And, you know, Jesus walks in to this scenario and nobody recognizes it's Jesus. And we've, we find that out as the story goes on because the Pharisees are super offended. A little bit of a spoiler alert, he, he gets healed. Um, but the Pharisees are super offended because he's carrying his mat. And, and they say, who healed you? And he says, I don't know. So even the man himself did not know that Jesus had healed him. And, you know, Jesus never turned away one person that came to him for healing. When we pour ourselves into the gospel and look through the way that Jesus interacted with people, anybody that came to him looking for healing got it 100% of the time. And hundreds of sick people 
are pouring their entire expectation into an extraordinary experience and a very ordinary man that nobody recognized walks in front of the house of loving kindness, walks in front of their entire life's hope has been poured out on this pool and one extraordinary experience changing everything about their life. And ordinary Jesus walks in the room and nobody knows it's him. And, you know, he, he says to the man, he knew he had been sick for a very long time. And when you look at the footnotes of 38 years, don't you just all love the Passion Translation footnotes? I mean, what in the world? Where were we before those footnotes? Nobody wants to know. And uh, it's, it says, when you look at Deuteronomy 2.14, 38 years was the exact number of years that the people of God wandered around in the wilderness, waiting to be set free from their poor choices. And this man was sick for 38 years. And it says when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. And, you know, the thing about Jesus is he knows the whole story. That he's not looking at your story with denial. And, you know, to be the light of the whole world doesn't mean he only sees the shiny things. You know? And when we think about light and we, we flip on the light in a room, it doesn't just light up what's awesome. You know, like, all right, if we could just turn the lights on and keep it dim over there where all the children have shoved two weeks of snacks, you know, like, if we could just light up what's pretty, that would be awesome. But it doesn't work that way. The, the most comforting part is that Jesus sees the devastation of what these 38 years have been for this man, that he sees the entire story. And sometimes his hope in your story can feel offensive because you question, do you really know how bad it is? Because you're smiling and I'm not, you know? And are you seeing the entire picture of, of what it means that I can't get into the pool? Are you seeing how hopeless these 38 years have been? And Jesus sees the entire story. And it's not a lack of compassion when he walks in completely confident that freedom is yours, that healing is yours, that wholeness is yours, that fullness of compassion is constantly releasing eternal solutions, e eternal lasting impact on your story. And, you know, one of the most offensive things about the gospel is how much Jesus believes in his sufficiency. 
and want, and the most life-changing thing about the gospel is how much Jesus believes in his sufficiency. <laughs> that, that he has zero questions where we have questions. That nothing about your story makes him nervous that he might not be enough. And, you know, I remember one day I, I was just super stressed out about, you know, some issues my girls were going through. And I dramatically threw myself on my bed. It was like a movie. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this for another 18 years. This worry is going to kill me, you know. And, and I, I hear this gentle whisper. You know, I'm the best parent the world has ever known. And I have never not one day worried about you. And I just started running through my life and thought I was... Uh, that was worth worrying about. Like, I feel concerned that you weren't worrying right there. <laughs> like, like, do you care? Did you care? Did you care? You know, and, and he does not worry. It, even when it, it is a completely impossible scenario in the natural, because he is entirely confident that he is enough that nothing about the gospel has been missed. Like, oh, shoot, I wish I would have paid for that as well. He's, nobody, nobody in heaven is regretting the price Jesus paid. Nobody's thinking, I wish we would have wrote that into the gospel. No, there, there's 100% payment for your every need. There, there's 100% sufficiency for everything that concerns you. And, and when light steps into your story, it exposes everything. And, you know, our, our role as the light of the world, that he, he passed the torch to us and said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Is that we would begin to live unashamed that light would shine on the whole of our story. That, that not just the shiny parts would be exposed, but that the entire, I was crippled for 38 years. This is what it felt like. This is what it tasted like. This is how low I got. And, you know, one of the constant reminders as, as I'm being discipled by the Holy Spirit in parenting and in, in leadership is I, I constantly hear him whispering to me, be as generous with your weakness. Be as generous with your failure as you are with your strength, as you are with your gifting and your anointing. Be generous, be wholehearted in your generosity. Because when people see our need for Jesus, this, this man said, this doesn't work. Jesus is like, do you want to get healed? And the man says, this, this doesn't work. It hasn't been working. He, he was recognizing this, this expectation for this house of kindness that I have been building my life around. He was laying on his sleeping mat that he'd actually built a home in a religious structure that would not work. And he, he recognized 
this will never work. And, you know, when we get to the point where we recognize none of what religion is offering me will work. We are on the verge of receiving the fullness of who Jesus is. When we can take our eyes off of a false expectation in a system. The, the very heart of religion is a form without any power, without any ability to transform. That no matter how fast you crawl, you're never going to be the first one to get into the water. That no matter how much the people around you love you, it will never be enough to bring you into the fullness of what Jesus paid for. We all desperately needed a savior. And nobody in all of humanity needs Jesus more than you. Nobody in all of humanity needs Jesus less than you. We, we all fell short of the glory he intended before the foundation of the world. We all fell short. We all had zero hope of ever living in continual, constant access to the presence of God. There's one way to the Father. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter how desperate you are, there's one way to the intimacy your entire soul craves, to the, in, to the healing your body, soul, and spirit craves. And it's through Jesus the road is intentionally wildly narrow because religion doesn't fit in there. Striving doesn't fit in there. Your own righteousness doesn't fit in there. Your own holiness doesn't fit in there. We had to make a decision. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. I'll never be special enough to get into the pool fast. I'll never be good enough to get there first. And, you know, Jesus came trumpeting, I am actually the pool. <laughs> I am actually the house of loving kindness. And it was never my intention that you would live on the sideline waiting to drink me in. That you would live on the uh, uh, sideline desperate to live immersed in loving kindness. That you would live looking from the outside in. If only I could be one of those people that live in loving kindness. That Jesus came onto the scene giving us access to not, to not just come and visit the house of loving kindness. But to actually make our home inside of who he is. That you would never feel like you're lacking something. And, you know, Jesus, on the verge of leaving the earth, he was telling his disciples, if you really loved me, you would be happy I'm going. Because I, I am not leaving you like you're used to being left. I'm not abandoning you like you're used to being abandoned. And, and he says, bereft which means lacking something. I'm not going to go away and leaving you feel like you're lacking something. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the fullness of my presence for the rest of time. 
that never for one moment would you ever go without. And, you know, the thing that, that scares the enemy the most is that we would wake up to whose house we live in. That we actually live inside the house of healing. That we actually live inside the person of loving kindness. And that everything changes when we live from heaven to earth. Because we're, we're, we're not living our life trying to fill up a deficit. We're living our life from the fullness of what Jesus paid for. And, you know, when he, he looks at this man and he says, do you truly long to be healed? And when you look at the footnote, the literal translation is, are you convinced that you are already made whole? And it's not a future tense, like, do you want to be healed? It's, it's a past tense indicating that something has already been accomplished. Are you convinced that you have already been made whole? And he's lying there crippled. And, you know, faith doesn't begin the moment our body manifests reality. Like, we don't arise and shine because we feel it manifest in our body. We arise and shine because of the pronouncement Jesus has made over our life. And, you know, we're not waiting for healing. We're not, you know, in you, my greatest heroes in life are when I get to sit and hear, hear the stories of people who, even in their physical body, have been dealing with some sort of pain, some sort of injustice for 38 years. And they're, they're still living inside of hope and living inside of faith and have a steadfast gaze on the person of Jesus. And they have somehow kept their, their heart soft. They have kept their heart pure. They have kept their focused single. And all of us in this room are living in some sort of delay. Is there anybody not living in a delay? <laughs> we gotta believe for more if everything is manifested today. We gotta dream bigger. As soon as dreams come, come true, we gotta start dreaming new ones. That there should, there should constantly be some realm that we are, we are pressing in to be forerunners of, of breaking into what Jesus purchased. Because for all of eternity, we will be searching out the wonder of the fullness of what the gospel has done. So all of us are learning to live in some sort of delay. And, you know, this question, are, are you confident that you have already been made whole? And he's helping us to see that even in a delay, you're not a sick person desperate to get well. That you are a well, completely restored person walking out your wholeness. That you, you are a completely bought, purchased, no longer a beggar, 
growing up into the fullness of what is rightfully yours. That you are, you are not a desperate beggar waiting to get into a pool. And it is not a lack of faith in those moments, you know, to be living without legs that work and make a pronouncement, I'm confident I'm healed. I'm confident I'm whole. Because light sees the whole story. Light, light sees this is not a lie. This is not fake. Do you see the reality of everything I'm navigating on earth in my story? And yet my greatest awareness is who I am in heaven. My greatest reality is what is fully mine from heaven to earth. And earth is going to line up with who I am in heaven. And that's my assignment. My, my assignment, it's not, it's not my information for, for my identity. Nothing on earth defines who I really am. And, and when we get our identity from what is playing out in the natural, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. But when we live with our highest reality of who am I in heaven? Who am I living from the very seat of Christ? There's no poverty there. There's no chaos there. There's no lack there. There, there is no sickness there. And I live from that reality towards every deficit on earth that needs to line up. And we don't allow earth to define what's happening in our, in our season, in our scenarios, in our relationships. We let earth know what's happening because we're getting our feedback from a higher reality. And... You know, Jesus, Jesus says to him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. And immediately he stood up and he was healed. And literally, it was the words of Jesus that caused this man to stand up. And the one thing that causes the people of God to rise is his voice. That there is no other yeast that we yield our life to but the voice of God. If, if he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, it's enough for us to rise up in the reality of that truth. If, if he said you are healed, you are whole, that alone causes us to rise up into the reality of what he has said. Goodness stands up on the inside of you because of what he has said. And we're not, we're not waiting on anything but the voice of Jesus. That's what causes the people of God to arise and shine. And he, he completely stands up. And this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders saw this man walking along carrying his sleeping mat. And they objected and said, what are you doing carrying that? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on the Sabbath. And he answered them, the man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. What man? They asked him. 
who was this man who ordered you to carry something on a Sabbath? But the healed man couldn't give them an answer, for he didn't yet know who it was since Jesus had already slipped away into the crowd. A short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, look at you now, you're healed. Walk away from your sins so that nothing worse will happen to you. And then the man went to the Jewish leaders to inform them, hey, it was Jesus who healed me. And from that day forward, the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus because of the things he did on the Sabbath. And, you know, Christian recreation is antagonizing a religious spirit. And it's not people. It's just a cruel spirit that's lead, is leaving the people of God held captive in ways that we were never destined to be held captive. And the thing that antagonizes a religious spirit more than anything is you carrying your rest. And you picking up your sleeping mat. And that wherever I go, rest goes with me. That wherever I go... The voice of Jesus, I don't know, he just said pick it up and walk. So it doesn't even matter where I'm going. All that matters is I've got the voice of Jesus that caused me to arise in a place of rest, to move the place I lay my head every night, that no longer am I laying my head in a false expectation, waiting to be seen, waiting to be known, waiting to be special enough to be healed, and that I've picked up the rest Jesus commanded me to carry and I'm living inside the fullness of what he purchased and you know Jesus Jesus was like hey look at you he's like don't don't go on sinning any longer like how how beautiful that he was validating you are seen I care about what you do with your life and, you know, when you have felt for 38 years, there's no one that cares enough about your life to put you in the pool. That, that means all of his family gave up. And nobody was sitting by his side saying, hey, as soon as, as, soon as the waters are stirred, we're going to make sure we're first. And to have the person of Jesus affirm, I see you. I know you've been sick for a long time. Don't sin anymore. Your life matters. Your choices matter. That, that is love. That, that love is not go do whatever you want now. Love is I care about the quality of your life. I care about your choices. Go and live free. Go and live whole. So let's just all stand up. And... You know, I just felt heaven making an announcement over our lives today that no matter where you are, no matter what you're waiting for in your delay, what promise you're hanging on to, that today the shame of your slavery in Egypt has been rolled away. That today you get to stand up on the inside and know I arise and shine not because of what's manifesting in the natural, but because what Jesus has said over my life alone. 
And so, Jesus, I just thank you that all across this room, that your word will never return void. That you have said, you are my chosen one. You are the one who's worth it. You are the apple of my eye. All of me is for all of you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Fullness of health is yours. The fullness of the kingdom is yours. And I just pray, Jesus, that all throughout our spirit, man, there would be a reverberation causing up causing us to stand up and rise and shine like never before because all of our rising is hinging on this one thing. We believe you are enough. And help us, Jesus, to take our eyes off of any other solution and to recognize you when you come in our super ordinary everyday lives. That we wouldn't be distracted by something flashy but that our eyes would be set on receiving you in whatever way that you come. All of our hope is in you, Jesus. There's not like 2% or 5% left over for something else just in case. Like 100% of our hope is set on you. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all. You paid it all that you didn't miss a thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.